We are finishing up this series called Relation Slips. We've been two weeks in. This is our third week. And if you have not been here for the, the last two, man, you've missed some good ones. We have been diving into the nitty gritty of relationships and the areas that we really slip up in. And uh, so first week we talked about trust and what happens when people break your trust and how do you regain that. Last week we talked about conflict with a message called No More Drama. Come on, somebody. No more drama. <clears throat> How many got some drama out of your life this week? Anybody got some drama out? Now, I, I said last week, you can't get conflict out, but you can get drama out. And so we talked about how to, how to handle conflict God's way. And then uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about relationships and the importance of us being better together. So you see a lot of these people wearing these shirts all around here. And so uh, welcome to, again, our Savior's Church and for this final series. I want to ask a quick question. How many of you have ever heard of TED Talks? Who's heard of TED Talks? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of TED Talks. If you've never heard of TED Talks, raise your hand. You never heard of TED Talks? Okay. Wow, there's a lot of you. Okay. So if you go YouTube, just type in TED Talks. There's actually an entire website devoted to it, but it's an organization of people that get together and they do these small little kind of conferences called TED Talks where they have speakers that come up from all walks of life, presidents, um, businessmen, businesswomen, um, I mean, kids. I mean, they've had a ton of different speakers. Pretty much anybody that's got something worth really sharing that's a powerful story, they share it in these things called TED Talks. Now, it's not a guy named Ted that talks. I just want to let you know that. I'll just go ahead and get that out. But I want to show you what it is. TED Talks are technology, entertainment, and design. So all of these talks are usually designed around it. It's 18 minutes, an 18-minute platform with ideas worth spreading. Some of the, the coolest videos I've seen have been some, from some of these TED Talks. A lot of it is people that have done research on things. A lot of it is um, just things that you and I would be very interested in. And so they shared this TED Talk, and there was this one TED Talk that was uh, five years ago, 2013. And the guy started off his talk with this question. And here's the question. The question was, if you could invest in something to make you the happiest and healthiest throughout life, what would you invest in? When you think about your life, if you, uh, if you could invest into something and you knew for sure that that was going to make you the happy and healthiest, what would you do? So they asked uh, a bunch of people, um, and, and you'll see in just a minute the, the study that they did, but they also asked this to a bunch of millennials. Now, millennials are those born from 1981 to 1996. How many of you in here fit into that category? You're born between 1981 and 1996. Raise your hand. Millennials, raise your hand. Okay. Those that were born before 1981, raise your hand if you're before born. Yeah. Seasoned people. Thank y'all. Uh, we need y'all. Um, how many of you were born after 1996? Raise your hand. You're born 1996. Yeah. Okay. All right. Y'all don't say anything because you don't know anything. And so, <laughs> but they asked the millennials, okay, they asked them the same question. If you could invest in something that would make you the happiest and healthiest, what would you invest in? 80% said in becoming rich. Becoming rich. 80% of millennials. Becoming rich. 50% of those millennials, half of them said becoming famous. If I become rich or if I become famous, I'll be the happiest and healthiest in my life. Well, what ended up happening was, what they don't know is that there was a study that was going on. And this is the study. The study is the Harvard Study of Adult Development. It was a study started in 1938 that has tracked the lives of 724 men over the course of 80 years. This is the longest adult study in U.S. history. 80 years, they tracked 724 men. And in 1938, they recruited these, 30, uh, these uh, 724 men, and over the next 
every two years, they would call these men and just ask them a bunch of questions about their physical health, emotional health, spiritual, relational, job, occupational, just a run through a gamut of all of these questions that they were asking them to try to find out who was happy, who was not happy, what were some of the factors that were causing some of those things. And so today, uh, actually five years ago, 2013, this guy uh, did a TED Talk on this survey. At that point, it was a 75-year survey, and at that point, 60 men were still alive, 60 of the 724. At that point as well, they were also beginning the process of interviewing the 2,000-plus grandkids of these men. And they asked the question yet again, what is it that if you could invest in would make you the happiest and healthiest? And so I want to show you, I'm going to show you just a real clip, uh, a real small clip of this 18-minute TED Talk where they find out and discover what is the one thing that if you'll do and you'll invest in, it'll make you the happiest and healthiest. So here you go. What are the lessons that come from the tens of thousands of pages of information that we've generated on these lives? Well, the lessons aren't about wealth or fame or working harder and harder. The clearest message that we get from this 75-year study is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. We've learned three big lessons about relationships. The first is that social connections are really good for us and that loneliness kills. It turns out that people who are more socially connected to family, to friends, to community are happier, they're physically healthier, and they live longer than people who are less well connected. And the experience of loneliness turns out to be toxic. People who are more isolated than they want to be from others find that they are less happy, their health declines earlier in midlife, their brain functioning declines sooner, and they live shorter lives than people who are not lonely. And the sad fact is that at any given time, more than one in five Americans will report that they're lonely. And we know that you can be lonely in a crowd and you can be lonely in a marriage. So the second big lesson that we learned is that it's not just the number of friends you have and it's not whether or not you're in a committed relationship, but it's the quality of your close relationships that matters. It turns out that living in the midst of conflict is really bad for our health. All right. So the number one is the quality of your relationships. How many would you agree with that? With that 75 years, they come to terms with, of 724 men, that the number one thing that makes us happiest and healthiest is that we have quality relationships. That one in five people struggle with loneliness. Can you imagine that? That in a room this size, as he said, you can be in a crowd and still be lonely. And I love this because here's, here's the cool thing. It took Harvard 75 years to find out what God said over 6,000 years ago. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2. Watch this. If you got some notes. Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is what? Not good for man to be alone. I'm glad Harvard has finally caught up with the Bible. God said in the very beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. Now think about this, Genesis chapter two, when this is written, 
Adam and Eve, or uh, the garden has already been created. Everything is good. After every single day that God created, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. He even creates man and he says, it's very good. But he, but he realizes that Adam is missing something. That even in the state of perfection, Adam hasn't sinned. He's perfect body, perfect relationship, perfect relationship with God. That God says, there's still something that's not good. And that's that Adam is alone. And how many of you know that if, if God is saying when everything was perfect, it's not good to be alone? How many of you know now that we live in an imperfect world, it's definitely still not good to be alone? We need to have people in our lives. We are definitely better together, which is, I want you to write this down. You can't live alone. I mean, you can live alone, but you can't thrive alone. I'll say that again. You can live alone but you can't thrive alone. God was saying here that it's not good for man to be alone. Oftentimes we put so much of our value in our net worth, we don't realize that the only thing that God values is our net work. We, we spend all of our time and all of our energy and all of our finances and all of our resources to try to gain wealth and to gain things. And God is saying none of that matters. What matters the most is actually the people you do life with. And can I tell you why it matters the most? Because out of all the funerals that I've done, you know, I've never heard anybody brag about how much money they had in their account or what boats or cars or houses they left. You know what they always talk about? The people, the family, and God. You know why? Because that's the only thing that's eternal. So here's the question. Why would we not invest our lives, our resources, our time into what God thinks matters the most? People and God. This is what God is calling us to do. Now, I love Solomon because King Solomon was the wisest man in all of the world next to Jesus. We did a whole series on Proverbs back in the summer. We studied the book of Proverbs, but he also wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And how many know if the wisest man in the world is speaking, how many know it's probably good for us to listen? It's good for us to hear what he's got to say. And he speaks about in Ecclesiastes chapter four, that you and I are going to go through three things in our life. Every single person, no matter what age you are in, uh, you're going to go through these three, three obstacles in your life. And Solomon's going to go, and he's going to go another step further and say, when you face these three obstacles, if you do it alone, you're doomed to fail. But if you do it with people, you can walk through all three of these. So I want to walk you through all three. Number one, the fall. It's what I call the fall. Now, this is what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Watch this. Two are, everybody say that word? Yeah. Come on, let's say it like we mean it. Two are better. They're better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and, and help. But someone who falls alone is in real so he's not just speaking to here of someone who has fallen and, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up, you know, pushing the little, it's not what he's talking about here, okay? This, is, this isn't a message for senior citizens, okay? This is a message here that he says, no matter what's going on in your life, there's going to come a time where you fall, where you fail. It's going to happen. You're going to fail in your marriage at some point. You're going to fall in parenting. How many of you have, have taken a fall in parenting? How many of you look back and you're like, mm, I shouldn't have done that? How many of you got to apologize to your firstborn because they were the test dummy? Okay, no, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We have to explain those kids. We're like, I'm sorry. Listen, I was learning a lot of things. We were, and so, right, we're, we, we fail oftentimes. We fail in that. We fail in finances. 
How many look back at some of the money you spent and wish you could have had it back? Like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have made that decision. We fail in relationships. We've, we've fallen in so many areas of our lives. And this is what Solomon is saying. Listen, it's all right. You're going to fall. You're going to have some failures. You just better make sure that you don't do it alone. You better make sure you don't do it alone. Because if you do it alone, if you fail alone, the problem is you're going to be in some real trouble. And this is what God is challenging us in, is that there's going to come a time where you can't fix it. Maybe you fall in your business. Maybe even worse, you fail morally. And there's going to come a moment when that happens. Or man, I better have some people around me. I better have some people that can help me walk through this. I love what 2 Corinthians says. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now we go to the New Testament and Paul speaks about these. He says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction. Paul needed to be here for part two last week. He should have been here. <laughs> conflict from everywhere. Got, got wrestling and fighting and stuff going on from all directions. Have you, know, have you, have you heard the term, when it rains, it pours? Yeah. How many you know what that means? That, that means that when, it, when, when all things just come at you at one moment. You ever had that before? Strive at work and then strive at home and strive with the kids and strive with your money and you got pressure everywhere and everything's going on. Paul's facing this. He's facing conflict and he's facing battles on the outside, but he's also facing some battles on the inside. How many know some of the worst fights that we fight are not with those people, it's within us? Talked a little bit about that week, uh, last week with the idea of, you know what the problem is here. Then he goes on and he says this. Watch what the next verse says. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged. Can we just stop there and say, thank God we got a God who encourages us? Now watch how he encourages you. Okay? This is how he encourages them. He encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy. This is what he's saying. That in this moment when Paul was ready to throw in the towel, when Paul was ready, he was so tired, he was just like, I just don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm getting conflict from the inside. I'm getting conflict from the outside. I'm just ready to quit. That he didn't need a miracle. He needed a brother. Amen. And can I tell you, whatever you're going through in whatever area of your life, in whatever relationships right now, it might not be that you need a miracle. It just might, you need a friend. And here comes Titus along the way, and Titus encourages him. His presence brings him joy. His presence uplifts him. And Paul is saying, listen, there's going to be a moment where I fail, where I'm weak, where I don't want to go on anymore. I thank God for Titus. Titus came, and he reminded me to get back in the game, to keep going. You and I need a Titus. And if you're alone, it's only going to be trouble. So I just wrote this down. We only quit alone. We only quit alone. How many of you in here uh, played some form of, um, of sports, maybe in high school or college or whatever? Any, any sports players in here? How many of you know, like, or, or even those maybe that have been trying to get on a diet or you've been trying to work out more? How many of you know that if you go and you try to do a diet or you try to go work out by yourself, how many know you quit early? Okay. Right. We got a, oh, we got a room full of liars in here. How many of you know we, how many know you quit early? You're like, one, two, McDonald's, uh. right? I mean, unless you're just like some real strong-willed, majorly disciplined person, we all quit alone. We always do, which is why we need coaches, which is why we need teammates, 
which is why we need people in our lives because they'll push you further than you want to go. They'll make you do more than you normally do. I, I, I uh, just recently, actually yesterday, we just kicked off a running life group. Now, for those that don't know, if you haven't heard me preach, I've preached a number of times on here that I despise running. I hate running. If you see me running, you better be running because something's chasing me. <laughs> and about a couple of months ago, I really felt like, man, I need to start running more. I just felt like I was out of shape um, as far as just condition-wise, and it's just something that was in me. But how many of you know, even though you know you need to be doing something, there's every excuse in the book of why you shouldn't or why you're not going to do it? So like, ah, I don't know what to do, and I don't really know how to run, and nobody's running with me, and you know, all of these excuses. I already do CrossFit. I already do these other things. I got so many other things going on, and I was like, I, I need to. I got it. And in walks Ralph and Sheila Reed into our church. Now, for those that don't know Ralph and Sheila, they're avid runners, uh, avid runners. And it was almost like God slapped me in the face, and he was like, now what's your excuse? I'm like, dang it, Ralph, why'd you have to come here? And so... Uh, so he comes, and, and I knew I was supposed to ask him if I could get some help. So one Sunday, we're, you know, worship's going on, and I grabbed him, and I said, hey, man, I said, I really feel like uh, uh, some guys at our box are challenging me to run 10 miles. I said, I hadn't run 10 miles in my life. I said, I, I, I need some coaching. Would you, would you be up for maybe helping me? And he's like, yeah. I said, why don't we grab lunch? So we grabbed some lunch together, and I said, man, and so as we're sitting in lunch, and I'm finding out, and I know he loves running. I, I knew that was a part of him. And I said, man, I, I really feel like I just need some coaching. Would you be willing to coach? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. I said, you know, I also, I know that for me, I need to do it with other people. Like, if I do it with other people, I'll be there. If I just do it just me, you pro I'll be sleeping. And so I said, I need to get some other, so what if we started a, a running group, like a life group for just people that want to run? And, and he's like, yeah. He's like, actually, he said, actually, I used to have an old one, and I've been feeling lately like I need to restart it back up. I'm like, well, it must be the Lord. <laughs> so yesterday, we had our first one. 16 people showed up. And uh, yeah, it's cool. And uh, I did, 13 of them were women. I didn't know I was starting a women's life group, but um, <laughs> come on, man. I need some men to come join me, Okay. Me, Ralph, and Ethan getting after it, you know, and Corey. I mean, we had four, four men. So come on, guys. Y'all come help me. And so, uh, so we, we divided the group. Half of the group was those who really don't run that much, and we're going to do a couch to 5K. So for those that are in here and you want to get fit, come. It's a couch to 5K. You walk most of the time, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to do a 5K at the end of it. And then, there's, then we split the other. The other half was the people that kind of somewhat run, and they're going to run three miles. I wanted to go to this group. <laughs> Can I just be honest here? I went to this group, though, the three-mile one. My wife was there. My wife was running. I'm like, oh, you're running three miles? Okay, all right. So we, we run at three miles. So we took off and we started running. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, you know, at about one mile, we'll stop. We'll take a little break. Maybe get a little walk, <laughs> brisk walk. You know what I mean? You know, get a mile in. I'm like, okay, we're all right, all right. Maybe mile two, we're definitely going to take a walk. Nobody's stopping. We got two or three other women that are run, running with us, my wife, some other people, uh, and they got a couple guys that are running, and, and no one's stopping. I'm thinking, when are we stopping? Like, my legs say no. My body's saying, stop. My head is going, you can't keep doing this. And yet they kept running, so I kept running. And they kept running, so I kept running. Ran the whole three miles. I never stopped. Give me some props. I never stopped for three miles. Okay. Encourage your pastor, please. <laughs> so I didn't stop. And, uh, 
And I would like to say it was like some spiritual, I was like, you know, press on towards the fight. It was, it was, the truth was there was women that were running, they weren't stopping, and I wasn't going to let them beat me. <laughs> Come on, somebody, that's my ego. <laughs> like, uh-uh, that ain't happening. Mm-mm. Jolaine running right by me, I'm like, mm-mm, no. I will beat you. And so... Uh, so anyways, hey, come on. I'll, I'll, that feels good now. I got that out. And so, so when I got to our, the, you know, the finish line, I stopped my watch because I was timing myself the whole time. I stopped my watch, and I realized I had ran further and faster than I ever had ran in the last probably 10 years. And I thought, it really is true. When you're with people, you go further and faster. Like, it's true. You go further and faster. And if that applies to running, could it not also apply to spiritual? That maybe possibly we're living on the level that we have settled for and God will let you stay there. But if you get around some people that are keep running, you won't stop and you'll just keep going and growing and growing and growing and growing. How many know people make us better? And when you fall and you're ready to give up and your calves are burning and you can't run anymore and you get right beside somebody and they're like, let's go, let's keep, let's do it, let's go. I'm like, I can't do it anymore. Yes, you can, let's go. I'm telling you, I'm gonna die. I'm dying right here. No, you got this. And then you get to the end and you realize, I can do this. How many know that all that does is encourages you for the next one and the next one and the next one. And some of you, I think, have quit too early because it got too hard. And I'm telling you today, get back up again, get around some people that will challenge you, that will encourage you, because how many know, we all fall, but the Bible says a righteous man falls, but he gets back up again. And the Bible has put t- Tituses in our life to help us get back up. Number two is coldness. We're all gonna face a time in our life where there's some coldness. Look what, look what Solomon says. Watch, watch what he says here. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? But you can't be warm alone. This is every single person's favorite verse right here. Pastor Josh, I need a man. He's going to keep me warm. Okay, no. Don't be. I know this section over here. No, y'all don't. This isn't your memory verse, okay? Jesus can keep you warm for right now, all right? <laughs> A man's coming. He's coming. But for right now, Jesus and the Holy Spirit will keep you warm. It'll be a blanket. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. So anyways, okay. So that was good. That was good. Okay. So let's get back on to the message. And so, so this is what he said, that there's going to come a moment where you're cold. Now he's, yes, he's kind of speaking of physical coldness, but it's so much beyond that. How many know our faith can grow cold? You used to believe for great things, and now you just don't as much. You used to pray for great things, and now you just don't pray as much. You used to come to church, but now you just show up just kind of when you feel like it. You used to, there's all these used tos, but now your faith has kind of grown cold because of maybe life circumstances or things that have happened or a conflict within a situation, and you didn't resolve it, and now things have grown, and, and now really your heart has also grown cold. Because not only our faith can grow cold, our, whole, our hearts can grow cold. We get cold towards people. Get cold. How many know our marriages can get cold? Our relationships can get cold. And, and, and Solomon's saying, hey, listen, there's going to come a time in your life where coldness is going to try to set in. Be mindful of it. 
You better get around some people. Don't be alone. I, I, love, um, I love barbecuing. Anybody in here like to barbecue? Anybody in here like to eat barbecue? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, this is, uh, I love barbecue and I, I, I love fire. I just love fire in general. I love my fireplace. I love my barbecue pit. But um, I'll, I'll try to barbecue as often as I possibly can. And, you know, one of the ways when you, you know, when you're barbecuing, at least in my pit, is you got to get all your charcoal together. I do charcoal. I'm a charcoal guy. Some of y'all are gas. That's okay. You're lazy. But um, the car, no, just kidding. Just kidding. I just couldn't afford one. I got charcoal. Okay, so I just joking. Don't, y'all are, you're already about to walk out of the church. Don't stay seated. So I got charcoal and, you know, get you all the charcoal. You, and, and if you know how to do a charcoal, you kind of pyramid that thing together, get it all clumped up together. You like that and open up all the vents and really let all that oxygen in to try to get that, man, I'm hungry. And so, um, and so that's how you, you stir those, those coals. Now, once you get it kind of white and hot, of course, then you can spread it out and then, you know, start cooking if you were to take, in the midst of all that blazing heat, you were to take one of those coals and go set it outside and let it sit for two minutes, you couldn't grab it out of the fire, but you let it sit out for about two minutes, I could hold it in my hand. You know why? Because the coal gets cold when it's not in the fire. And do you know that the enemy's strategy is to isolate you, to get you out of the fire and out on your own so you grow cold. And some of you are wondering right now why you are cold. Could it be that maybe just because you're not in the fire and all you would have to do, listen, all you would have to do is actually just get into the fire with the other briskets and you'll catch on fire. Y'all see the analogy here? That maybe I'm growing cold in my walk with the Lord because I'm not around other people who are passionate about the walk with the Lord. And if I'd get around some people that are passionate about their walk with the Lord, how many know I'm gonna get passionate? And so that's why, listen, that's why church is so important. That's why spiritual family is so important because of this nature of when we come together, we're encouraging. Look what Hebrews says. Hebrews would say this. This is what the New Testament says. Let us not give up meeting together. Let's not, we got to meet together. Here's why. Because some are in the habit of doing that. This is what he says. Some of you, he literally splits, splits people. He said there's two people. There's people who are in the habit of being with people, and then there's the people that are in the habit of not being with God's people. Those who put God's house as a priority, and those who don't put God's house as a priority. Those who say, we're doing this no matter what, and those say, we'll do this if we got time. And he says, listen, if you need to make sure you're around people that are encouraging you in their faith, because they're gonna encourage one another. This is what church is all about, by the way. Because there's opportunities for us to grow cold. We get around people that encourage us and challenge us and make us better. Hey, if you, if you, you could probably even see this play out even in the worship. If you were sitting on a row where everybody was doing this during worship, you probably were too. But if you were sitting on a row where everybody was doing this, you probably were like, ah. <laughs> you know, TV field goal, you know, whatever. Okay. So I got a question. And so, um, 
right? Because when you get around some people, you just get really excited about it. You get really passionate about it. And, and, and church is a place that you're being called to do that. Church is a place where it's never been about coming in and sitting in a seat. Jesus did not die on a cross so you could sit in a red seat. Jesus died on a cross because he's got a passion. He's got a purpose for you. He wants a relationship with you. He's got a mission for us to do. We're called to do it together. We, we're better together. We got to go do something together. This is never about us just sitting in a seat. Y'all with me? Come on, church. Preach with me here. Because listen, yesterday, an hour and 15 minutes away from here, a hundred plus thousand people were championing something. It was a football team in, in very tight pants and purple shirts. <laughs> and, and you know their names and you cheer for them. But guess what? They don't know yours. They don't know yours. And so what we do is we spend thousands of dollars to travel an hour and a half to go cheer on some people that don't even know us. And yet we don't even give the king who gave his all for us that much praise in his house. Can we spend five seconds to give the king of kings and the Lord of lords the praise that he deserves in this house? He not only blessed you, he not only forgave you, he knows your name and even goes another step further and knows how many hairs are on your head or lack of. <laughs> and so when we talk about church, that's why I get so fired up about our church. I, when I say I love my church, I'm not talking about I love the building, I'm talking about I love you. Amen. I love you and so this, thank you so much, I appreciate that. <laughs> See, I wrote this down. You want to write this down. It's just a side note. In heaven, watch this, you don't get rewarded for attending church. You get rewarded for being the church. It's not like you walk out of here and God's up in heaven. He's like, all right, Amy, check. Steve, check. Greg, check. You know, it's not like that. You don't get credit in heaven for attending church. You get credit in heaven for being the church. That's why we talk about a spiritual family. Church is not a place you go to, it's a family you belong to. And if you come into this place and you sit in this service and you can't wait to hurry up and get to your car before everything lets out, you're missing the point. It's never been about that. It's been about coming into a place where you can be encouraged, where if you're discouraged, you can get encouraged. If you're sick, you can find healing. If you're addicted, you can find freedom. If your marriage is broken, you can find freedom. Y'all see what I'm saying? Man. Can you tell I'm a little fired up about this? I love the church. And I love it because I give my life to it. You know why I give my life to it? Because Jesus gave his. And you're going to find a place in your walk with God when it grows cold. I've been there. I would love to say I wake up every day and just like, Jesus, I love you. Some days I wake up and I'm like, Jesus, where are you? Some days I'm like, I don't want to go to church on Sunday. Can I be honest? Like, I don't want to preach three services and get home at 2 o'clock and have to be here since 7. Like, I don't, there's time. Uh, can I be honest? There are moments where all of us have been in those places where you just don't want to. But then you walk into this place and you see somebody. And then it reminds you, yeah, that's why I want to. And God encourages us, but he puts people in our life that encourages us. Which leads me to number three. And that is attacks. You're not only going to face a fall, 
You're not only going to face some coldness in your marriage or in your relationships, but you're going to face some attacks. If there's anything we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks has just been this idea of the enemy wants to attack your relationships. That's what he wants to do. He is so after your relationships. The way that God could destroys a family is he goes after a husband and wife. And then he can get your kids. If he goes after a church, he goes after a pastor and its leaders and goes down from there. And if he can destroy a church, he can destroy a city. Because the church is the light of the world, the hope of the world. So the enemy's on the attack. How many of you right now have just been walking through some stuff, you just feel like, man, it's just an attack? Anybody in here? Yeah. Hey, how many know, how many know Satan hates what's happening right now? Y'all know this, right? Like Satan doesn't just sit by and be like, man, our church is getting filled with people. Awesome. You know what he's doing? He's doing everything he can to prevent you from coming to this place. How many know, whoever wrote the song, It's Easy Like a Sunday Morning, doesn't have kids. Can I get an amen from all the parents in the house? My kids just go demonic on Sundays. What the heck? What's going on? And we're just trying to get, just trying to praise the Lord here. Got a tax, tack in the back seat. Watch what happens. Dear God, where are we going here? 1115, y'all, y'all making me crazy. All right, so Ecclesiastes 412, watch what he says. A person standing alone, alone can be and defeated. Now watch this. But two, standing back to back, conquer. Three are even. Oh, there we go. Three are better. I think if he can continue it on, he'd say four is even better. Five is even much better. Six is better. He says a three, uh, a triple braided cord is not easily broken. That we as people, when we're alone, the strategy of the enemy, listen to me very closely, the strategy of the enemy is to isolate you, get you alone. You ever watch those YouTube videos of how lions hunt? Lions are not looking for the pack. You know what they're looking for? The lonely, the stray, the, the, the isolated. That's what they're looking for, which is why we call our men's group the herd. Because we just realize we're just stronger together. We're better together. Are we still going to face attacks? You better believe it. But I can face an attack when I got a brother on both of my sides. Bring it. And so God is telling us in his word, you're going to face an attack. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. Your marriage is going to get attacked. Your kids are going to get attacked. Your mind is going to get attacked. Your finances are going to get attacked. And you better make sure that in this moment, you don't do it alone. Now, all of us in here know the story of David and Goliath, probably. I mean, you don't even have to go to church to know that story. Goliath was the very first giant that David slayed. But most people don't know David's last giant. The very last giant that David went up against, it was a totally different story. See, with the first giant, David was 16 years old and killed him with a slingshot, cut his head off with a sword. Fast forward decades later, he is now the king of Israel. It's his last and final battle, and he faces another giant. And I want to catch you up to this story in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became what? Weak and? Listen, he's fallen. His health is failing. His body's failing. He doesn't want to go on anymore. I'm done. And watch what happens. There's a giant by the name of Ish-Binibab. 
I just got y'all's next kid's name. So you don't even have to just look at your wife. Go, we already got it. We found it. This is it. All right, so it's Benny Bob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him. So David's, David's about to get out. This is his moment. And now watch what happens. Now you would think he's going to pull out the rock. That's what he knows, right? Pull out the sling, David. You killed Goliath with it. Kill this one. But he's so weak. He's so exhausted. He's so tired. He can't barely do anything. He's cornered. And now watch what happens. But Abishai came to David's rescue, and he killed the Philistine. Then David's men declared, you're not going out to battle with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? Listen to me very closely. The first giant that David fought was with a rock, but the last giant for him to kill, he needed a brother. Now, you would think it would have actually have been reversed. You would have thought, 16-year-old David, who don't know anything, shows up on the battlefield, sees Goliath, and says, I'm going to take you out, but I need some help. Hey, guys, I'm only 16. I've never done this before. I need some help. And you would think that by the time he got older, then he would know how to really use his, his slingshot, and he would have killed the last one with a slingshot. But it didn't happen that way. See, because here's what David realized, that as he got older... He couldn't do it himself anymore. He needed people. If it wouldn't have been for Abishai, this would have been the end of David's story. But thank God for a brother. Come on, how many, how many know this really means help a brother out? This is the definition of help a brother out. He is on the verge of dying. And a brother steps in and says, I got this. And how many know that all of us are going to come a time in our walk with the Lord and our walk with people, our walk in our marriages where we're like, I'm done, I'm exhausted, I'm out. And how many are thankful for an Abishai to walk up in there and go, no, you're not, I got this for you. And they loan you their faith, their strength when you don't have any yourself. So listen, if Harvard says you need people in your life, and if David says you need people in your life, and Solomon says you need people in your life, how many know you probably need some people in your life. Now, let me take it another step further because you're hearing all these people in the Bible say this, but it's also what you said. So this week, we have a Facebook group called OSC Jennings eFam. Go find it if you don't. And I posted a question, and here's my question. Since you joined the OSC family, what has been the one thing that has helped you grow the most in your walk with Jesus? 44 of you commented. And I want to walk you through what people commented. This is what people said was the one thing that helped them go from where they were to where they are now with their relationship with God. You ready? Watch. Jeremy said freedom, which is a life group, by the way. Freedom. Life groups. Financial Peace University gave me a job with the best boss. Freedom gave me a new family. Freedom. Inner healing. Both life groups. Freedom. In my current inner healing class. Look at the next one. My life group, people in inner healing, seeing real change in others led me to freedom. Life groups and freedom. Freedom and life groups. Y'all seeing a running theme here? Let's go to the next one. Being able to talk to other men in the church about problems I was going through and also knowing you'd receive Christian counsel and your words would stay with them and not be next week's gossip. Come on, that's good. 
Definitely the friendships I've made through life groups. Having godly people to talk to is very important. Fellowship with others. Relationship with godly men and women by far. Life groups and getting involved. Serving with others. Nothing like spiritual family and awesome leaders that call you beyond your comfort zone. Do you see a thread? That it's not just David and Solomon and God and Harvard that says it. You said that the one thing that has helped you the most is people. People have made you better. Notice none of them in here put Pastor Josh's preaching. <laughs> none of you put that in. No, I'm joking. So I think there was one in there. Um, I favored them. So, and so I'm joking. <laughs> joking. Everybody else got blocked. And so um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But do you notice? Like, do you notice? I don't take offense to that. I celebrate that. See, I just get the motor going. It's life groups and freedom, and it's all these other groups that actually get people to where they want to go. I'm just a tour guide that way, that way. And then it's other people that come alongside of you and actually walk with you through the journey. You want to get to where God has called you? You want to fulfill the destiny that God has on your life? You can't do it alone. Your destiny is tied to your relationships. You might need some people in your life that can help take you there. I want you to write this down. We needs me and me needs we. Me needs we and we needs me. Watch this in Ephesians chapter two. You are members of God's family. Together we are his family. Together we are his family. Together we are his family. We are better. We are better together. And listen, I'm, I'm not telling you to do anything that I'm not doing myself. I told you. I just, we just started, Ralph and I just started a running life group. That's one of the three that I'm a part of. I do another one on Saturday morning with men. I'm another, part of another one that's a golfing life group. Uh, I'm part of a bunch of different ones. And, and the reason is I'm in, a, I'm in a bunch of them because I'm jacked up. I need a lot of people. I love people. I want people in my life. I need to be around people. I realize that more and ever. And so listen, I'm not selling anything to you that I'm not smoking myself. Come on, somebody. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. A lot of y'all are still smoking some stuff, so I'm trying to get on your level. So, Or vaping, whatever you call it. You know, do what you do. I'm just telling you something. Listen, I ain't telling you something I ain't doing myself. And if your pastor needs it, you definitely need it. And I need it. My wife needs it. Pastor Bob and Tracy need it. We're not calling you to do anything that we're not doing ourselves. Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and now 6.30 <laughs> are now my priorities. And I know some of you right now, here's the pushback. Here's the pushback. I don't have time. I don't have time. I got so many things going on. You're telling me to add another thing? Dear God, you want me to come on Sunday and a group? Ugh. Listen, I want, you to, I want you to hear me on this. You might want to write this down. You got to be willing to get rid of something good to get something great. Sometimes it's maybe saying no to the good things so you can say yes to the great things. So maybe you need to do a little inventory and find out. Maybe you got a lot of good things in your life, but you don't have the great things that are going to be the best things. Because I can tell you right now, when you make a commitment to God's house and you make a commitment to God's people, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. I promise you. I promise you. But listen to me very closely. You can't do this without your first relationship. The first relationship 
is the most important relationship. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. We just read it just a minute ago. <coughs> Watch this. We'll go to the verse. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. Go to the next verse. The next verse. It's that verse. It's just got the rest of it. There we go. Thank you. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And now watch this. And it's all built on the cornerstone who is what? Who is Christ Jesus. So listen to me very closely. What makes life groups different than a club? Because some of you are like, I'm in a club. I'm in the Lions Club or Leo Club or up in the club. You might need to get out of that one. So um, <laughs> I don't want to go there. I'm going to touch on some things. And so... So listen to me closely. The difference between those clubs and a life group is a life group is built on the right foundation. Those clubs are great. You want to go do some community service? Awesome. But life groups are built on Jesus. And Jesus is the cornerstone of what we build our lives on. It's what we build our groups on. It's what we do our life in. Because here, listen to me. You may go to a financial group or you may go to a men's group or you may go to a shooting group or a golf group or a running group. Those are all great. But can I tell you what? They're hooks. <laughs> I'm going to let you in on a secret. They're hooks. They're just meant to get you in the group because you're like, oh, I need help in my finances. And you go to the group and you think it's about finances, but it's really about you getting connected to people. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> We're just trying to get you connected to people. So whether you go to a golfing life group or you go to a freedom group, it's all about helping you get connected to people. Because the last time I checked, the only thing that changes lives is Jesus and his people. And so you get connected to Jesus and you get connected to his people, your life's going to change. Your life's going to change. I promise you. That's how it is. All right. So I, I want you to listen to me very closely and we're, we're wrapping up. We're done. Oftentimes, I'll, I will share a, a statement in our church that I back 110%. And that is to give us a year. For the next year, go all in. And you're like, man, I just, I, this is my first time at OSC. You want me to go all in? Yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? I mean, if you want to just check it out, that's fine. But I'm going to ask you just to go all in. Say yes. We say get in a life group. You go, yes. Go through next step. Yes. Get on a dream team? Yes. Because I want you to hear me. As your pastor, I'm never asking you to do something that I don't think is the best for you. If I'm asking you to do it, it's because I believe it can change your life. And how many of you know that before Jesus, we were saying yes to a lot of things we should have been saying no to? That guy was like, can I have your number? And you're like, yes, you should have said no. <laughs> and now that you've given your heart to the Lord and we stand up here and say, you need to get in a life group. You should be saying yes, but now you're saying no. I'm here today to say, let's take our no's and make them yeses now. And I'm challenging you, if you haven't been through Next Step, say yes. You're hearing about these life groups, like, oh, I just don't wanna do this, I don't. Just say yes. And at the end of one year, if your life's not radically changed, come talk to me. Me and you, we'll go, to, we'll go find a different church. But I'm gonna tell you, it's not gonna happen. 
I had a girl come up to me at the 8 a.m. service this morning. She said, Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh, I got to tell you something. I said, what's up? She said, today's one year. I said, are you serious? She said, yeah, when y'all launched the 8 a.m. service, which was one year ago today, she said, I came for that 8 a.m. service. She said, you talked about giving a year. I've given it a year. Well, how was it? It's never, I've never been the same. I said, good, I don't have to find another church. Okay, awesome. <laughs> go all in. Christianity doesn't work if you go half. Just done. How many glad Jesus didn't go half? How many glad he didn't get all the way up to the cross and be like, mm, too much for me? Man, he went all the way. So as God's people, I just want to follow his example. And I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to. I want you to bow your heads in this place. If you're here in this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's the most important one, by the way. I, I don't want you to leave this place without that. Because above all other relationships, this is the most important. We can't slip up in this one. This is the one that determines where we spend eternity. And I don't want this to be a slippery place. I want you to grip this one with all that you got. Jesus, I need you. If you're here in this place, maybe you've been to church or you've done communion or maybe even you've had baptism in the day, but it's never been real. It's never been genuine for you. You've been really honestly living for yourself. You haven't given God full, full control. Say, today, I want that. I need that. If that's you on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up. Say, that's me. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Hold it up. One, two, three, four. Come on, hold it up. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Come on, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. Come on, somebody. Awesome. I want you to pray this. You can put your hand down. I want you to just pray this with me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, today I surrender my life to you. Take my shame, my guilt, my past, my sins. You bore them on your body on the cross. You rose again from the dead to give me a relationship with the Father, a place in heaven, and a purpose on earth. Today I surrender my life to you. Take it all. Make me new from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen.